Good afternoon. I drew the highly coveted after lunch slot. And we didn't serve turkey and stuffing. It was only pasta and bread. So so that's really good. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are uh, we are uh, thankful to be here today, and uh, you have done a great thing in putting all of this together. We praise you for it. We thank you for this particular time right now and the topic right now, and we understand and confess that we are in need of the Holy Spirit to uh, do anything spiritual, that is to truly understand them. So please, we ask for your spirit to be working actively through your word in our hearts today, uh, that you may be brought glory. Amen. I was told I had an hour and a half. I guess that's not right. Uh, So I was assigned the topic of uh, why a wife matters. And two quick things before I jump right into it. Um, I'm, I'm very happy for that. Because I really like uh, talking to and talking to wives and teaching about the topic of wives uh, in general. Uh, there, there's several reasons for that. Number one, it's really important. It's really important. Uh, the last time I checked, and this is not recent, it's been a while since I checked, approximately 50% of the people in marriages were wives. And that's a pretty large number, right? So that's a pretty important thing. Um, plus, on this topic, wives, you know, I, I know this is going to be a general statement, but generally speaking, there really isn't a lot of sound teaching in the Christian world about wives. In fact, if you go uh, and, and go around, maybe go to a, any kind of bookstore, even a Christian bookstore, you're going to find a lot of stuff that just is really not so much based on the Bible, but is more uh, based on feelings and emotions and kind of worldly concepts with uh, some Bible dust sprinkled over it. And and that's really not helpful because what's helpful is the Bible, right? Because uh, the and, and one thing about 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 everything, not I guess some things aren't as clear in the Bible, but I I, I think. Uh, in, in almost everything, the Bible is really super clear and super helpful on 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 everything. But on, on this topic, on you know why a wife matters—that's the assignment. Why a wife matters—that's what I'm supposed to talk about. So um, it, it, I think it's really necessary and helpful to use the Bible to answer that question, or it's a statement, not a question. Uh, the, the another quick thing is. You know, one way to handle this topic would be to talk about uh, talk about wives, okay? To talk about wives, and I don't I don't want to talk about wives today. What I want to do is talk to wives today. So that's kind of how I'm going to approach this, and hopefully my language will come out in that way. And uh, you know, I may slip up, but that that's the intention. I want to talk to the wives today. Um, so. Uh, why a wife matters. I have for you today five reasons of why a wife matters. That is not to say that that's all the reasons that a wife matters. I'm sure there are many more reasons why a wife matters than the five we're going to talk about today. But these are the five we're going to talk about. Um, uh, So a, a wise person once said, and I wrote this down to make sure I quote it right, uh, let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. So that's where we're going to start today, at the beginning, just like others have done. So the first reason why a wife matters uh, is because God created you. God created you, okay? We already looked at this once. We're going to look at it again. Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. <clears throat> then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So listen, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. 
created them. Okay? So God created the first people, the male and female. They were created. A man and a woman. A, a family. A husband and a wife. Okay? These were not two random strangers that were created. The, the wife, the woman, the wife, created intentionally for the purpose of being husband and wife, created to start a family. The wife, that was an intentional thing by God that he created you. Okay? And this is, I, look, I want you to remember this. Okay? Now, I, I, thought, I thought of this about an hour or so ago. When I, when I prepared this, I really didn't, it wasn't in my mind that I have to combat all the bad thinking of the culture we're surrounded by right now. So this really wasn't created for that reason, but it may end up, you may hear it like that, and that's okay because there is a really lot of bad thinking about wives in the culture, right? Uh, But you were specifically and intentionally created by God, the Most High God, the Creator of all things, Wives, created you specifically and intentionally. You are not some uh, evolutionary piece of chance that you sit here. You were created by God as a woman, as a wife. As a wife. Now, I don't, I don't want to tell you these things to puff you up uh, or make you proud. Uh, that's not the purpose of it. The purpose is of this whole thing, really, is to encourage you. Uh, because... You, a wife, have uh, a tremendous importance in the world. And it starts with God created you. You were, not only did God create you, but you were created in God's image. You were created in God's image. Uh, Are trees created in God's image? Are stars created in God's image? Are dogs created in God's image? Are cats created in God's image? Some might have difficulty answering that last one because they really like cats. But they were not, trust me. They were not. No, of course not. But you, woman, you, wife, were created in God's image. And that's a big deal. Okay? We've talked about that before. I'm not going to belabor the point, but it is a big deal that you were created in God's image and that God created you, you specifically, you, wife, and you, each of you, who sit here, here today. That is one reason why wives matter. Uh, Psalm 139, for you, this is the psalmist speaking now, right? And when he says you, he's addressing the Lord. So that's who these first two yous are. For you, Lord, I'm inserting Lord, you form my inward parts. You, Lord, knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So we can say this about any image bearer, uh, but today I'm saying it to you. Uh, You are fearfully and wonderfully made by God uh, exactly the way you are, exactly the way you are, intentionally, specifically, wonderfully and fearfully made by the God of the universe. Uh, You wives matter because God created you. That's the first point, kind of the introductory point. The next point, the next reason that you matter is because you have a purpose. You have a purpose, okay? Again, back to the beginning, Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, who's the them here? The man and the woman, the husband and the wife. He said to them, what did he say? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, a lot of focus in some circles gets really put on the subduing and the submission part, right? But that's not what I'm going to talk about right now. I'm going to talk about the very first thing he says, which is to be fruitful and multiply. Okay? Now, think about this. The, The man and the woman, the husband and the wife are created. And the very first thing God says to them is, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Okay? You have a purpose. People, families, husbands and wives literally have been given a job, a purpose, 
by that creator. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You go out and you make more image bearers. Make so many of them, they fill the entire earth. The whole place. That's how many you're going to make. More image bearers, just like you. Fill the earth with them. Now, I also studied this topic very closely. A wife is necessary to create more image bearers. Absolutely, positively necessary. Right? It sounds silly, but look, this is the purpose that we are given. We're going to talk about a very related thing in a little bit, but there's no wife, there's no more image bearers. There's no more multiplying. There's no more filling the earth. Okay? This is not a negative thing. Again, we're, I, I, trust me, when I prepared this, this was nothing countercultural in my mind. But is that the culture we live in right now? It's not, is it? There's no being fruitful and multiplying. There's give me one and give me one of the other one, and I'm done. If that. You know, that's, that's even in what calls itself the, the church culture. Okay? In, in the, the broader culture right now, it's so bad that we murder many of the babies that get conceived, and they're at best an inconvenience, and at worst now, detrimental to the planet because they use carbon or something like that, right? That's, that's what we live in, but that's not what God said. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And wives are necessary for that. And what a tremendous thing that is. To be able to conceive a child and grow a child in your womb. I mean, just, just, I know you know this, but I want to make sure you know it, right? An egg and a sperm go together, and then it's a zygote, a one-celled being, right? One cell. Can't even see it with your naked eye. Nine months later, a fully formed human being comes out of your body. You grew that in your body. That is amazing. And then you bear it. It comes out of you. And then you're not even done. You nurture it and you raise it up for however many years that takes, depending on you and the child and the culture. You have a purpose. Be fruitful and multiply. It can't be done by one person, not in God's design. This was all intentional, remember? God did this on purpose. You have a purpose in this very first instruction that was given to people. Really, really, people are supposed to multiply and fill the earth. We're supposed to be fruitful. Again, culturally, eh, sorry, don't like it. I live for my comfort and my pleasure. And my comfort and my pleasure largely come from my work. So I was really created to work, but really as much as little as I can get away with, unless I really like to make money, and then I'll work a lot, but only till I'm 59 and a half, or really even less than that. You see the whole mess it is? Okay? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That was the instruction from God, and you wives are critical to that. We go on to Genesis 2, 15, uh, starting verse 15. We read this already today. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded him, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. You have a purpose. God says it's not good for man to be alone. Why? Well, there's a lot of reasons, right? We're not, we're not going to list all those reasons, okay? But there's work to be done. There's work to be done. And that work requires a helper. It's necessary, okay? We just talked about that. One of the works is be multi- multiply and fill the earth, be fruitful. Can't do it. Man couldn't do it by himself, right? He needs you to do them. He needs a helper, not just a helper, He needs a helper fit for him, okay? God created you. God created you for a purpose, and that is to do the work. So you are not just designed and created by God in his image, as if that's not enough, but you are specifically designed and created by God in a certain way for a certain purpose. My notes get confusing. I'm sorry. 
So, a specific purpose, okay? The helper fit to do the work. Whatever the work is, it was not good for man to be alone. He needed a helper. One one guy that talks about this topic, I know he has a great way of looking at this, okay? Think of an axe, right? Axe is a very useful tool. Josh, axe, axe a useful tool? It is. He said yes, if you didn't hear that. Axe is a very useful tool, okay? There's two parts to an axe, isn't there? There's the axe head and the axe handle, okay? An axe head is probably a great thing. And an axe handle is probably a great thing. But one of them without the other is not very useful for the intended purpose of the axe, is it? A man, a husband is a great thing. Not very useful, apparently, for being fruitful and multiplying for sure, and really apparently for all the rest of the work that needed to be done, the subduing and the taking the dominion and the taking care of the animals and all that. Not the axe. The axe had the axe handle, the helper fit for that they work together. So again, you're, you're super necessary. You have a super purpose. Again, I'm not trying to pump you up. I am trying to encourage you along the path how we ought to think You ought to think of yourself as a wife. The work that God gave mankind requires a team, requires two people. It requires a husband and a wife. Okay? So I guess what I haven't said is you're not an afterthought. How am I going to get this done? I don't know. Let's try this. No. You have a purpose. You are designed and created on purpose. Okay? Number two. Number three, you have great influence. Okay? Three, re- five reasons. Number one, God created you. Number two, you have a purpose. Number three, you have great influence. This might be the most important point of this talk. Okay? It might be. You have great influence. We're still in the beginning. We're a little bit further down from the very beginning right now. Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 to 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate. Now listen. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. So, A lot of people have talked about this passage. What happened here, right? The woman ate, and she gave some to her husband, and he ate of this particular fruit. What had God said? Don't eat it, right? Pretty easy, pretty simple, pretty clear, okay? Who did God give that to, that instruction? The man, right? We call Adam. The man was given that instruction, okay? Bible's really clear about all that stuff, okay? Now, Who gets blamed for this? The man does, right? Adam. He gets blamed. Rightly so. Rightly so. Adam was one. It was Adam's sin. It was Adam's sin that caused everything we experience today, including what we experience in our own hearts. It was Adam's fault. But let's understand what happened. The wife had an influence on that. The wife had an influence on that. She talked to the serpent. He, look, he was standing right there. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. He was with her. Serpent's talking to her. She starts thinking, eh, looks good. Probably tastes good. Supposed to make me wise, this guy says. I'm going to eat some. Here, you eat some too. There was an influence there. Okay, we're going to look at more passages like this. But I really, I'm getting somewhere. I'm building a case. But you have to understand, wives, you have great influence. Next section, Genesis 16. We're going to look at verses 1 to 4. Okay, this is about Abraham and Sarah. 
And uh, I'm going to assume there's some knowledge of what happens here. But the, the brief version is uh, God told Abraham that Abraham and Sarah that he was going to give them a child. And they were old, okay? Well past normal childbearing ages. God made them a promise that they were going to have a child together, okay? And then we get to Genesis chapter 16. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne no children. What had God promised them? A child. But she had borne no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw, when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Now let's review. What had God promised? God had promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child. Okay? Was What did Sarah do? She got wise in her own eyes, said, I'm old. God must be preventing me from having a child. So let's do it a different way. Why did they do it this different way? It was Sarah's idea. It was not Abram's idea. Again, Abram's responsible. I don't... I, I'm going to make those qualifications for people that minds need that. But this was Sarah's idea. And what did, what did Abram do? He listened to her. He did what she wanted to do. This was Sarah's Ab- influence from top to bottom. This was not Abram's idea. Again, he's at fault for those who need to say that, hear that. But th- he was influenced greatly by his wife. And, and if you know what happens down the road, a whole pile of trouble comes out of that, right? A whole pile of trouble comes out of that. (laughs) What came out of uh, the woman's influence to the man with the fruit? A whole pile of trouble, right? Okay, next one. Judges chapter 16 we're going to look at. This is Samson and Delilah. And again, there's a lot there. I can't recap the whole thing. You probably have some knowledge of that. Samson's uh, this Jew who's really strong and Creates a lot of havoc with his strength, okay? And uh, uh, Delilah is uh, this woman that he catches his eye, and they, whether they're married, whatever, they're certainly acting as husband and wife in their relationship. Whether, whether they had some ceremony or not, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say, but they are certainly functioning as a husband and wife in this thing. And Samson's a strong guy, right? And... Uh, the reason, he likes Delilah, but Delilah gets together with her as a spy. The, the men, she's not a Jew. She's a foreigner, and Philistine. And uh, the, the men encourage her. They don't like Samson because he's raising havoc, right? And they encourage Delilah to be his wife in order that she can spy on him for them. Okay? So that brings us to Judges 16, starting in verse 15. And she, Delilah, said to him, Samson, how can I, I had a little more background, I'm sorry. So one of the things she's supposed to spy out is how is he so strong, okay? And that's supposed, she's supposed to find that out and report back to the other guys so they can capture Samson and end his reign of terror from their perspective, okay? So they're married and three times, well, we'll see. And she said to him, Delilah said to Samson, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and not told me, where your great strength lies. So three times she had asked him, why are you so strong? And he gave her a reason and said, if you do this, then I won't be strong anymore. And turns out it was a lie because she did that and his strength didn't go away. So three times that happened. Three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words that day, listen. And when she pressed him hard with her words that day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, because I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, 
and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And this time he told the truth. And as the account goes, he falls asleep, she cuts off his hair, he loses his strength, they capture him. Right? So it's that, that whole thing is all done. And I want to go back. What, what happened here? Samson, again, was influenced greatly by his wife. Let's, let's see what it actually says. When she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Wives, you have great influence on your husband. And this is one of the ways in your sin nature that this gets worked out. And look, if you're a wife in here, I'm sure you can attest to that. And if you're a husband in here, I'm sure you can attest to that. The pressing hard day after day. You have great influence on your husband. Uh, In Deuteronomy, one of the parts of Deuteronomy, I'm going to be in verse 17, uh, Israel gets instruction about a king. Uh, At this point in their history, Israel does not have a king. Okay? God's their king. Actually, they do. They just don't have a human king. Okay? Moses is their leader. Moses is going to go away because he can't go into the promised land with them. They're going to appoint Joshua as their leader. They'll have the judges, but they don't have a king. Okay? And at this point, God knows the future because he ordained it. And at some point, they're going to ask for a king. And God says, I'm going to give you a king. Okay? And he tells them what to expect when he gives them a king. And he tells them uh, one of the things and gives them some things he should do and things he should not do. And that brings us to Deuteronomy 17.17. 17. Uh, so this is Moses talking on God's behalf. Uh, and he shall, and he, the king, the king shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Okay, so here's this caution. I'm going to give you a king, okay? But tell this king not to acquire many wives, okay? Because what's going to happen if he does? His heart's going to turn away. Okay, now we're going to get to something else related to this in just a second. His heart's going to turn away. Turn away from what? Turn away from who? Turn away from Yahweh, their God, the God, right? That's, that's what, the, that's what the, uh, Moses is concerned with here. That's what God's concerned with. It would turn a heart his way. Now, what was, the, what was the first commandment that they were given on the mountain? You shall not have any gods before me, right? And what was the second commandment? You shall not make any images, carved, graven, whatever your translation says, okay? So, don't take many wives for yourself because your heart's going to get turned away, okay? Because, boy, you got one wife who has an influence on you. What are multiple wives going to be, many wives going to be for an influence on you? Now we skip ahead. And we go to the reign of King Solomon, who everybody's familiar with, right? We see this in First Kings 11, verses 1 to 4. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel. So this is what God had said about all these people groups. You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Okay? They were instructed not to do that. So he's basically paraphrasing Deuteronomy 17.17 there. Okay? He's saying... Don't do that because they're going to turn. Don't marry foreign women because they're going to turn your hearts away from Yahweh. Okay? But what happened? Solomon clung to these foreign wives in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. Now listen. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away after his heart. He turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as was the heart of David, his father. Samson was influenced by his wives to their gods. And what did he do? He turned away from what? He turned away from Yahweh, his God. And he turned to these foreign gods, just like Moses said was going to happen when they got a king and he took many wives. Okay? What was the first commandment again? You shall have no other gods before me. 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Israel. You shall have no other gods before me. And here he is, the, Solomon, the reputed to be the wisest man in the world, the richest man in the world, starts out his life a devoted follower of Yahweh, just like his father David, who was a man after God's own heart, did great things. But one of those things was he took many wives, and they turned his hearts away from Yahweh to foreign gods. 1 Kings 16. In this chapter, we find uh, King Ahab of Israel. Okay, and By this time, the, the nation of Israel had been split into two parts, Judah and Israel. And Judah, at times, were semi-faithful to Yahweh. And, but Israel, uh, starting from the beginning, was, started breaking the law right away under the king's direction. So that did not go well for them. The, the kings did not do a good job. And, and this is uh, regarding King Ahab of Israel. And I'm starting in verse 31. And as if it had been a light thing for him, King Ahab, to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, uh, that was the king who started with uh, false, improper worship. We'll put it that way. Uh, so if that was a light thing for him to do that, he, Ahab, took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. Okay, again, so this is a foreigner. He took for his wife a foreign wife. She was not an Israelite. And listen, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Okay, so Jezebel, Jezebel was a Sidonian and they worshipped Baal. And here this king of Israel who was, you know, a, supposedly a Yahweh worshipper, his heart gets turned away to Worship this false god, Baal. But it goes, it says more. He erected an altar for Baal and the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel before him. Okay? So what did he do? He started worshiping Baal. Not only that, he built a, an altar to Baal. And he made an Asherah, which was another physical worship object. Okay? Exactly. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make a carved image. The very first two commandments. We can't get past those. Now, none of us can. But he, he didn't. And why? Why? Because he was influenced by his wife. Wives, you have great influence. Couple of the Proverbs. It is better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. It is better to live in the house in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. As charcoals to hot embers and wood to fire. Oh, sorry, that's the wrong, the wrong one. Anyways. So We've got all these examples from the very first woman and wife and husband down to Ahab, king of Israel, including these proverbs that Solomon himself wrote regarding how a wife should be, all talking about, all showing us by example the influence that a husband, a wife has on her husband. Now, I know what somebody's thinking right now. These are all negative examples. Thanks a lot, right? Thanks. You just told me you were going to encourage me, okay? And now here I all I get is all these admonishments I get, right? Well, it gets better, okay? Because there's more, okay? So we can think about Esther, right? The, the, the whole book of Esther. And I can't recount the book of Esther. Uh, but Esther was uh, a Jew woman who gets to be the queen, what was it at the time? Babylon, Persia, Medes and Persians. Same thing, different names, right? Big, huge. She gets to be the queen of the biggest, most powerful kingdom of the land, right? We know, we know what, we're familiar, right? And because she's a wife, what does she have with her husband? 
That's what we're talking about. Great influence, right? And the Jews have a problem. They got the, the king got tricked into giving an order that all the Jews could be killed. And she's one. He doesn't even know that. She's one. And all her people are going to be killed all over the world because the king got tricked into this. And to, with great peril to herself, she uses her influence to save her people. She puts her life on the line to go in front of the king and to ask to tell him what happened and to spare her people from being killed. Okay? This is the influence that this particular wife, what a humongous influence this was, right? Now, this had to happen, right? But this is the, it had to happen because Jesus hadn't been born yet. And he was to be of the line of Abraham. And if you kill all the Jews, there ain't no more Jews and Jesus not born, right? So this was necessary, and this was God's providence. But Esther used her influence. God used Esther's influence in her husband's wife to not let that happen. Very positive example of influence being used by a wife. We can even look at, uh, we looked at this probably a little bit today, but we're going to look at a little bit more. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 to 2. Okay. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, listen, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your what? Respectful and pure conduct. Okay? So just think about this. Okay? The influence that a wife has. Okay, if you don't know this, I want you to understand this great influence that you have. Okay? The influence of a wife by her conduct can actually aid into the salvation of an unbelieving husband. You want to talk about a great influence? That's how strong a wife's influence is. A godly Christian woman who has a husband who's not who's most likely an unbeliever, but maybe even some point not obeying the word. Her influence is so strong that her conduct and demeanor and her worship of Christ and her submission can is such a strong influence that it can save an unbelieving husband. Amen? Amen? This is a big deal. You see that? Wives, you have great influence on your husband. Okay? I don't know. I know at least you had some understanding of that coming into this. But I really want you to see how strong this is. Okay? You have a huge influence on your wife, on your husband. Okay? Especially if he listened to Pastor Jeff's talk this morning. Okay? Because now he's all attuned to listening to his wife and loving his wife and leading his wife, right? So now he's all geared up for that. And he's going to be really willing to be influenced. And you are either going to use your influence in the right way or you're going to use your influence in the wrong way. And I'm encouraging you to understand your influence. And, of course, I want you to use it in the right way, okay? I want you to be Esther. And I want you to be the woman in First Peter. And I don't, I don't want you to be Jezebel, right? But all those other examples, they're necessary. Look, the Word of God is alive and powerful. And they're necessary for, and I'm talking to the wives now. This isn't the husband's talk. Guys, go get a sandwich. Oh, we just ate. You have great influence. It's a big deal. Use it. Understand it and use it properly. You were created by God. You have a purpose. You have great influence. Three reasons. Reason number four. So there is no burning. Okay? So there is no burning. You can read from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. The Apostle Paul writing, To the unmarried and the widows, I say that this, it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. 
for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Okay? My brother next is going to be talking about one flesh or intimacy, and I'm not intending to step on that or uh, impede that in any way. But we have this, this, this is important, okay? The topic is so there is no burning, okay? So the Apostle Paul says it's better to marry than to burn with passion. What he is referring to is sexual desire, right? This burning with passion is sexual desire. We need to understand, sexual desire is natural. It is normal. We were designed and created with sexual desire. Okay? As, as at times I like to say, this is a feature, not a bug. Okay? Sexual desire was built into human being. It's not a consequence of the fall. Misuse of it is a consequence of the fall. Sin. But sexual desire is built in. Uh, just a little bit of thing that I think is helpful, okay? There's more to it than this, but one of the primary drivers of sexual desire in human beings is a hormone called testosterone. I'm sure you've heard of it, right? Testosterone, that's, that's one of the main, this hormone is one of the main ways we have sexual desire. It's how God created it to work, okay? Uh, a, a, a normal woman, a woman reasonably healthy, should have, you can measure testosterone, right? And a, a normal woman should have a testosterone level you know, 50 or so. I know what 50 what doesn't matter. 50 is a good number for a woman, okay? A men's, a good, normal, healthy man should have a testosterone level of about 1,000, okay? I, I'm glad you're laughing because there's a very important point to be made here, right? First of all, first point is, Guess what, women? You have testosterone, right? It's not just a man thing. It's actually vitally important, but that's not the purpose of this talk. That's, that's come see me some other time to talk about that. For those of you who are here, because, you know. Uh, but, anybody do the math on that? 20 times, a lot. 20, men have 20 times more testosterone than women. Okay? Ladies, you got to understand this. Okay? We're talking about burning now, burning with passion, sexual desire, okay? Largely, that comes from the hormone testosterone. And men have 20 times more testosterone as women, okay? So Paul says, you have this sexual desire, and if you can't control it, you should get married because that's what God created. He created a wife. Wives, this matters, okay? This matters. You have, wives have sexual desire too. There is testosterone in women. They have this. But men have way a lot more. And that involves in a lot of things, bigger muscles, aggression, wars, desire for business success. But it's about sexual desire too. Okay? And that's real. So now we go back to the beginning of that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we hear this. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Okay? We'll just stop there for a quick second. It is good for a wife, a husband to have a wife and a wife to have a husband. Why? Because there is sexual desire. It is a fact. It is a feature and not a bug. It is natural and normal. And men have a whole lot more sexual desire, on average, than women, primarily, not exclusively, but primarily because of the hormone testosterone that we know now. Did Paul know the word testosterone? I'm quite certain it hadn't been invented yet. But he knew, the Holy Spirit knew, that people, men and women, have sexual desire. And <laughs> it needs an outlet. And... There's sinful outlets. There's, there's temptation to sexual immorality, which is any use of that outside of marriage. Any outlet of that sexual desire outside of marriage is sinful. Somewhere between fornication and adultery. That's sinful. So there, Paul says there's a huge temptation there. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. 
For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by an agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again. So listen, so Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Tempt you what? To sexual immorality, to some kind of use of that sexual desire that exists. It exists every day in all of us, but 20 times more in men, right? That temptation exists, and Satan is going to use that. Why is this matters? Satan is going to use that to tempt him to sexual morality. Now, you too, because it's both, he's talking about both here, okay? This is not exclusive to men. You'll both be tempted. So it says, you may stop for a while for a specific purpose, but come together because this desire is real and this desire will lead to temptation, which will lead to sexual sin if it's not taken care of in a godly and God's designed way with a wife and with a husband. But we're talking about wives, right? Sexual desire is real. To to pretend otherwise is just foolish. It really is. It's just foolish to pretend that sexual desire doesn't exist. Whether you're a man or you're a woman in here today, if you want to pretend it doesn't exist, trust me, that's just foolish. You're just asking for trouble to pretend that's not real. And man's sexual desire by design is greater than the woman's. These desires, as I said, will have an outlet. One of these is God-ordained and God-glorifying. One of these even leads to more image bearers as we be fruitful and multiply. All the others are sinful. Every single other outlet besides a man man and his wife is sinful. Wives, you matter. You matter greatly in this area. Proverbs chapter 5, this is Solomon writing to his son. Drink water from your own cistern, he says, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for for, for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. So he is talking about that outlet right now. He's talking to his son. There's a passage that comes before this that we didn't read, and he's, he's talking about an immoral woman, which we'll, we'll see at the end of this one. But he, he, Solomon's telling him, look, you've got a wife, and you've got a wife for a reason. Utilize that gift inside your marriage. Don't go elsewhere. Do all those temptations to every other use of sexuality that's sinful, don't go there. Drink from your own cistern, okay? Should your streams be scattered abroad? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. The same Solomon who wrote that, wrote the Song of Solomon that, my brother referenced this morning as he talked about his wife. Your wife's a lovely deer, a grateful, graceful doe. Okay, you ready? Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom as an adulteress? Now, this is written to a man, so let's understand what it says to a man, Right? You have desire given to you by God, okay? And this is a prescription against adultery. This is, this is the topic here. It's sexual immorality with another woman, assuming a married man in this context. This is his prescription against, to the man now. We're not to the woman yet. This is the prescription to the man as a prescription against adultery and other sexual immorality, Okay? And what is that? Men, you're burning. Use that at home with your wife. Okay? Be delighted by her body and intoxicated with her love. Okay? So that's to the men. That's what he's telling the men. Okay? You've got this wife. It's a gift to you. You burn. 
Use it at home where you're supposed to use it, how, how, how Yahweh God created it to be used. Not with some harlot down the street. Use it at home. Okay, so that's what he's telling the men. That's who it was written to. But we can flip that around, right, and understand what it says to the woman. So let's turn that around. Wives, your husband has desire. Now you do too, but your husband has desire. 20 times greater-ish than yours. Okay? You, wives, you are the God-given gift for that outlet. Okay? He burns, and he should burn for you. And he does burn for you. Okay? He thinks you're a lovely deer, a graceful doe. He wants his fountain to be blessed. He's been instructed to have your breasts fill him with delight. That's what he's been told to do. To be intoxicated with your love. So wives, embrace that. Embrace that, wives. Play into that. It's a part of God's design and creation. Again, it's not a bug. It's a feature. And you matter in this regard. Okay? (laughs) Look, I'm going to tell you a little secret that's not really a secret. Men are visual, right? We know that, right? Men are visual. You know that. I'm not telling you a secret right now. You know that men are visual. And they delight in the flesh. They delight in your flesh. I'm serious about that. Your husband's ladies delight in your flesh. That's a feature, not a bug. They were instructed to have your flesh fill them with delight and to be intoxicated with you. Pastor Tyler, I think, likes to say this is the one time we get to be drunk in the Bible. We get to be drunk with our wives, with her flesh. Wives embrace that. He loves your flesh. Okay? And this matters. Okay? You don't have to worry about, I'm trying not to be too descriptive, right? But you don't, you don't have to worry about all that. Your flesh is a beautiful thing to him. Embrace that. It's, it, you matter. That's a God-given outlet for that. And for you too. Again, I don't want to just ignore that. But again, 20 times different, right? All right. What's the title of that topic again? So there is no burning. (laughs) All right, number five. Almost done, right? Number five. Five reasons. Why does a wife matter? Five reasons. You do good to your husband and your household. That's the fifth reason. Why? You do good to your husband and your household. This is a longish passage, but I'll try and get through it as quickly as possible. Proverbs chapter 31. Anybody ever heard of that before? Starting in verse 10, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious to the husband than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Okay? Remember, this is God designed, God created. And this matters. Okay? The, heart, the husband trusts her because she does him good. Okay, And now we get a description. I'm just going to try and go through these so we understand the breadth of this. Okay, That you do good to your husband and your household. Right? She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. That's a wife that goes out and works for the Rand Corporation, right? No. That's a wife who works for her household, for her husband. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable to aid the household economy. Her lamp does not go out at night. She's a hard worker. She works. Look, you know it. She's making sure the kitchen's clean before you go to bed, right? She puts her hand to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for the household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She, she accomplished that. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Listen to all this. 
Her husband is known in the gates and when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. Listen, she opens her mouth with wisdom. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness on her tongue. Wisdom and kindness come out of her mouth. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Why? Look what she does. Look at the good she does for her children and her household. This matters. Wives, you matter. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all, the husband says, the child says. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who the Lord, who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Give her the work of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. The work of your hands, in your home, doing good for your husband and for your household. This is a picture of a woman totally given over her entire life to the work of her household and for the good of her husband. The Bible gives the highest praise to this activity. This is strong praise, is it not? This is strong praise for the wife. This matters. This is important. Do good for your husband and your household. That's why you matter. In the book of Titus chapter 2, we see this. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young woman to love their husbands and children. Hear that? To love their husbands and children, to do good for them, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Okay? Loving your husband and loving your children matters. You were created by God to do exactly that. That's a big deal. Remember, specifically, on purpose, wives, you were created to do exactly that. Worker at home. The roots of that are oiko, and the word is oiko ergos, and it means a home watcher or home worker, worker at home, right? Could be, could be called a home guard, home guard, home watcher. She watches out. This is, this is her territory. And she watches it and she protects it. And she cares for it. She takes, whole, she takes care of the household affairs. Look, go back to the Proverbs 31 woman. Okay? What was she responsible for? Everything, it sounds to me. Sounds like she was responsible for everything in the household. And I'm sure her husband, the lazy bum, was sitting at the gates eating figs and dates with the other husbands. No, of course not. That's not what he was doing. He was doing something else. He had a wife specifically created to care for his household, ordained by God, designed by God, on purpose. And that's a big deal. So in Titus chapter 2, this is a directive of a wife doing good to her husband and her household. It's exactly what it is. Love your husbands. Love your children. Be a worker at home. Guard your house. Care for your house. This matters. Now, I'm going to go back to one of the previous points. You're doing this? Just think about the influence you have. Again, not that the point is to gain influence to get your way on anything in particular. But just think, if you're the, you combine the First Peter 3 woman, the submissive wife with the gentle conduct, quiet and gentle spirit, who without a word influences her husband, and you combine this with the Proverbs 31 woman who cares for the household, and the Titus 2 woman who loves her husband and loves her children and watches over that household like a hawk to, to protect it and to make sure it's operating well, just think about the influence 
for good on the husband. I think that's a pretty good deal, pretty big deal. I think that's a very powerful thing. Wives, you matter. You matter. God created you. You have a purpose. You have great influence. So there is no burning. And you do good to your husband and your household. Wives, be encouraged. That's the path to go down. That's the path for wives. In God's perfect design for his creation. Now you want to you want to affect your husband. You want to affect your family. You want to affect your church. You want to affect your town. However broad you want to take that, that's where it starts. Look, it starts in the home. It starts with the marriage God created. It starts with the husband doing what God tells him to do. It goes to the wife doing what God tells her to do. And you've really got something there. You've really got something there. You got something there in your family. You got something there in your church. You got something there in your community. Now do that for three generations. Okay? And you disciple your children to do the same. And they actually do it by the grace of God. And they they disciple their children to do the same by the grace of God. And they disciple their children and they do it by the grace of God. How many people are we talking about right now? Thousands. That's not the point of this talk. What are you thinking right now? I'd probably stop doing it. But it's a big deal. Wives, you matter. Okay? You matter. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Father, again, your word is so clear and so uh, helpful. Uh, Father, it, it really is everything we need. We, we don't need anything the culture tells us about marriage, about husbands, about especially about wives. Father, we don't need any of that. You have spoken, and uh, you are perfect. Your word is perfect. We can use that, and we can all be encouraged. We can go in the right direction. And we can certainly bring you glory in our own households and as the gospel is proclaimed in our neighborhoods, in our churches, in our families, and out wherever the gospel goes. We thank you for all.